Happy Father's Day. All right, I wonder if you can go to Luke 15. <clears throat> I'm just going to jump into it. I've got to find the book of Luke. And it is really, really good to see you all. It really, really is. And, uh, okay, as you see, many people are away. My parents are somewhere. I don't know where they are in the world ministering, preaching the gospel. Canada, California, starts with a C. They're there. They're doing great. They say hi. So we'll spend Father's Day with them next week. All right, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into the Word. Amen? It is really good to see you. It's good to be back, I must just say, before I pray. Just such a privilege to stand up here and preach the Word. You know, just this week, I was just reminded again of just the privilege of being able to preach the Word. It's just a real blessing, so thank you all. Heavenly Father, we thank you, and we declare, Lord, that you are the Great Father. You are the Great Father. And we thank you for children. We thank you for laughter, fun. We thank you for the days that we're going to have. I thank you for the steak I'm going to have later. <laughs> I really do. But I, I thank you, Lord, for your word and, and, and that we can enjoy your word and have fun with your word. I pray for many hearts to be revived this morning. And I pray for much revelation to come this morning through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning about the Father's embrace. Many of us have heard sermons, even series, on what it is to see God as a father. And as much as many of us have heard that, I, I see many believers that they know it here, but it hasn't yet dropped in their heart. And, and so Father's Day can sometimes be difficult for people because of the father they had or the father they didn't have, um, or something to do with guilt in their own fatherhood, or, or many different reasons. But friends, I, I want to turn the focus onto the Lord. Uh, because he's the great father. We all have flaws. We all have faults. The Bible even says evil fathers, even though they may be evil, they know how to give good gifts, speaking about earthly fathers. The Bible even declares, as a father, you're going to make mistakes. But take your fathering from him. And so I want to focus on him. I want to focus on the father. And it's very interesting to me because as much as many people have heard it, I grew up with a great dad. I was very blessed to have a great dad. But even a great dad can limit your revelation of how he's, he's even better. Because many people put on God what their father was like. There was a book written by two Baylor University professors uh, called America's Four Gods. And what we say about God and what that says about us. And basically they say that there's four views of God in America. 91%, not all the God we worship, but some form of God. 91% of people in America believe one of these four views. There was a 15 or 20 year study, believe one of these four views of God that is either authoritative or benevolent or critical or distant. One of those four. And I, I paid through the book briefly and I didn't read all of it. It, it didn't all interest me, just to be honest. But I read some of it, and you know what struck me is, and I said this a few years ago, is that not one of the pictures of God that 91% of America, in a sense, based on what they say, thinks about when they think about God, not one of those pictures looked like Jesus. Not one. And you look at the state of the nation. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. My question to you today, and I'm hoping to turn this, is can you see a picture of the Father that looks like Jesus? People often save the best for last. And I threw up a list of some of the names of the Lord that he revealed himself, the names of God that he revealed himself to us. We all know them. El Shaddai, El Elyon, Adonai, Yahweh, Jehovah, Nisi, Rapha, Ra, Shama. There's more. We've all heard teaching on that. We've all heard that. Those are all the names that God has chosen to reveal about himself to us. But friends, how many times when you're a child do you eat all the food on your plate and you save the best for last. 
Whoever used to do that. Guy used to do that, and I used to try to feed it, you know, the vegetables to the dog and so forth. I did. But I believe in all my heart that the Bible in the book of Hebrews says that the last covenant, which is our covenant, covenant number seven, the number of perfection, the, the covenant that we have with Christ, through Christ with God, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews it's a better covenant. Who did God reveal himself to be? He saved the best for last. He really did. The chief revelation of God in the New Testament is Father. He saved that because it had to be revealed by a son. Very, very important. Had to be revealed by a son. And I've taught on sonship for years. I used to get mocked for it because I used to get, I used to never stop teaching on it. But the reason I teach on it so often and the reason I focus on it, because without an understanding of who he is, you can never understand who you are. Never. You are defined by him. The word father means to come forth from. If you don't understand the nature and character of who you came forth from, you can never be who you actually are. Never. And 91% of this nation, what's the, the fight in the spirit over this nation right now? I believe it's, it's the nature and character of God. What is he like? Is he glad? Is he mad? That's, it's like there's this fight about what's God really like. And many people cannot see. They see Jesus. Oh, we love Jesus. He's a savior. He's awesome. He died. But can you see the picture of a father that looks like Jesus? Because he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. There's an orphanhood in Western churches. Extreme orphanhood in Western churches. What do I mean by orphanhood? Orphanhood will produce a self-focused victim mentality based on us at the center and how we've been done wrong. And any event, good or bad, is based on how it revolves around me. That's this orphan spirit. It's orphanhood. What is an orphan? An orphan is a person who doesn't have a home. They may have a house, but they don't have a home. And there's this like orphanhood in America. Can I say even among spirit-filled, powerful churches? Because they go to church and they, they, if they sing the right way and I jump the right way and God moves in power and that all happens, at the end it's like, oh, look how God touched me. It's like an orphanage. It's like, oh, daddy picked me up today, but then he leaves for the week and he comes back next week. It's, it's like an orphanage mindset. The nature and the heart of God is that he wants us to abide with him. He wants to be with us all the time. An orphan, as I said, is a person living without a home. A home is a place of security, a place of love, a place of value, a place where you are valuable, a place where you find purpose, a place where there's a father with a loving embrace. I believe one of the main roles of the church, and there's many, is to provide spiritual fathers that don't have earthly ones. And it can be extremely powerful. It can change a person's life like that because of the role of fatherhood. Why is this so important? Because I believe the greatest downfall in human history is orphanhood. Why do I say that? In the garden, there was a father and the son. God and Adam. He was the first son, obviously besides for Christ. Who was the first orphan? Lucifer. Without a home. So along came an orphan to poison the heart of a son. He said, did God really say? As an orphan speaking. Did God really say? Caused him to doubt his dad. What was the result? Rebellion. Along came an orphan to poison the heart of a son. The orphan spirit will often manifest two ways, or orphan thinking. Rebellion or religion, which we're going to get into next week. Religion. Did God really say? Friends, I believe this is why it had to be the son to come and restore us. The devil tried to make the first son rebel. 
You try to make him question the nature and the character of God. Then Jesus comes along and he says certain things. Now understand, for us, we read it. We go back, we're like, yeah, great, John 10, John 14. For the Jewish people there, it was revelatory. It was even blasphemous when Jesus said, our Father. Literally blasphemous in their culture. So Jesus comes along and the chief thing he says, I have come. There was many reasons why Jesus came. He came to seek and save the last and there's about 20 something reasons, but about seven main categories that he said, I have come to do this. Jesus was made manifest to destroy the work of the devil, to seek and save the last. But they all come from one thing. I have come to reveal the father. That's the chief reason why he came. I mean, you said, if you want to know what the father's like, look at me. Look at my life. Then he started to make these stunning statements, which were in a sense a declaration of war. He said, I will not leave you as an orphan. He said, I will not leave you as an orphan. He said, no one will snatch you out of the Father's hands, which means where are you right now if you're a believer? You're in the Father's hands. And no one can take you out because Jesus will not leave you. So he's saying, no one will come and snatch you because I'm here and I'm not leaving. It's a stunning statement. John 10, John 14, he said something which rocked my world this week. I've, I've preached this message before, about two years ago. Same message. But it's almost like it needs to be preached over and over and over. John 14, he says, do not let your heart be troubled. So let's pause. John 14, 1, do not let your heart be troubled. How many people have a troubled heart? Proverbs 4, 23, guard your heart above all else, for it is the wellspring of life, for from it flow the issues of life. Guard your heart above all things. Jesus speaking says, do not let your heart be troubled. Then he gives you the how. Why? He says, because in my father's house are many mansions. It makes no sense. House, mansion. To not have a troubled heart, please hear what I'm saying. To not have a troubled heart, it's linked to the understanding of what father has for you. I'll say that again. To not be troubled in your heart is linked to an understanding of what the father has for you. Do not be troubled in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. You cannot understand what the Father has for you if you don't know what his nature and character is like. Hello? I know we've all heard this. I wonder today if we can do something for a moment. Because we hear this teaching so much, but it requires supernatural revelation, it requires depth. I wonder if we can close our eyes for a moment and just if this has been a struggle for you. Yes, you've heard it. I wonder if you can ask the Lord to reveal to you today somehow, somewhere in the coming today or the coming weeks, true revelation of the Father's heart. Because I cannot give it to you. But only he can. Just take a moment and do that. You know, my dad was 35 years old. Everywhere he travels, people say he's like a father. He's a father. He was 35 years old. He was doing ministry with a young girl, obviously him and my mother. And it was all issues with her dad, dad issues, right? Everyone has him. So he's doing ministry with her, and she, she, she leaves, and she was about 17, and she pops her head back in as she leaves. She said, Ken, what was the, your relationship like with your father? And then she left. And my mother walked into the car. She came back, and my dad was curled up in a fetal position, crying. And he stayed like that for an hour and a half. And he received download from heaven, the revelation of a father's heart, because his father killed himself when he was four. Never had one. So every time he had to discipline us, so every time he had to do something, he didn't even know what to do. So he would go into his study and pray, saying, God, I don't know, how do I be this father? So he learned how to father from that father. That's why he carries what he carries. Revelation of the father heart. Friends, I see people with a troubled heart. Christians, troubled heart. 
It's like I want to grab them and put the father in the head. Do you understand how good he is? Let's go to Luke 15. We're going to read the parable of the prodigal son. We're going to read it differently than we've read it before. First, let me say this. This is not the parable of the prodigal son. That's a name that we've given to it. That's not what Jesus called it. He said there was a father, a certain father with two sons. There's three people there. What Jesus was doing, we have to understand. We've called it, oh, the prodigal son. We picked the rebellious son. We say, oh, it's all about that dude. Actually, there's two sons and a father. What Jesus was actually doing was not so much teaching on the son. He was teaching on the relationship, the response of a father to either son. He was teaching on the father. I believe that with all my heart. Let's look at it. He says, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a portion of goods that falls to me. Now, let me give you some Jewish perspective here. In a Hebrew Jewish culture, these are the people listening, right? We look at this with our American westernized society. No, friends. This is a Jewish Hebrew society. It's a shame and honor culture. You shame the family, it's extreme, even sometimes death. Shame and honor society. It's not like we understand. It's nothing like we can understand. There's still some countries that exist today that are run on the shame and honor society. And it's extreme. And sometimes in the home, it's extremely harsh. Even choosing who they marry. choosing It's a shame and honor society. It's not like we think. There are Jewish fathers in this crowd. Jesus beginning, is beginning to teach what the father is like. He's beginning to teach how to respond to different sons. He's beginning to teach what a family looks like. Why? Because he came to reveal the father. That's why he's teaching this. He even redefines repentance, which we'll probably get into next week. He says this, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of good that falls to me. You know that that was legally in the law of Moses that was allowed you, it was a request that was allowed to be brought, but it was culturally to bring extreme shame. It was the same as wishing your father dead because you want what he, you're going to get when he dies, you want it now. That's what it was. It's a stunning sentence. He says, so he divided to them his livelihood. That would have shocked the crowd. We've got to understand this. What was normal in that culture, they would have brought other fathers, community leaders, siblings, brothers, sisters. They would have brought all these people around to speak to this young man. Come and, come and try to change his mind because he's going to shame the family. He's going to shame the family. What he was requesting, we think it's like the father comes along and says, fine, okay, just like today. Oh, fine, okay, there's some money. No, friends. He was not requesting money. He was requesting land, livestock, a half of everything that his father had taken his life to build. That's what he was asking for. There's cattle on that land. There's, there's stuff going on. There's a farm running. There's something happening. He's requesting that. This, we clearly, the, the story portrays a father who is wealthy, who is good. Obviously, speaking about God, the father who's much wealth, he has many servants. He's not requesting money, he's requesting half, he's requesting land, and he'll want it now. Then he says, he divided to them his livelihood. To us, it's a sentence. To the people in that crowd, it was stunning, because that never happened. You don't do that. Why? What did this father want? What was in his heart? Because they, the family, the fa people listening would have known, if that happens, that whole family would receive extreme ridicule. What did the father want? Did he want obedience? This father. 
because that's what most of the Jewish fathers in the sense of that time, they were very harsh, very strict. Did they want obedience? Did he want respect? What was his main concern? Maybe his reputation? No. That was the norm for the day. His main concern was a heart relationship with his boy. That's what he wanted. I want a heart relationship with my son. So in the son's departure, he built a bridge so the son could come back. Was barely 18, I was almost 18, 17, almost 18, and my older sister and I, Chantel, sorry, Chantel, we were being extremely good prodigals, put it that way. We really were involved in many legal things. My father came to us and he said, you cannot go on doing that in this house. And he presented us with two options. He said, you can stay here and I will leave the ministry and I'll do whatever it takes to win your heart and I'll work with you and you will become my life, my focus, or you can leave. It took us 10 minutes to decide and we left. Took the easy road out. Friends, that's why the story to me is about the father. But then when you do that, you provide a way for them to come back. Because you know in your heart that this man loves Jesus more than he loves me. Let me say this. Decisions of children do not always reflect parenting. Please hear me. They don't. They just don't. What happens? We know the story. He says, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Prodigal means extravagant and uh, wicked. When he spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land. Why? Because he's now in a foreign world. He's in a foreign land. In other words, representing the world. He's in a land that is not connected to eternal resource. They would have understood this. There arose a famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went, and people say, well, he was in want. He still didn't come to his senses. He was in a famine. He had nothing. So what does he do? He says, well, he schemes, like Jacob the schemer. What do I do here? He says, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, unequally yoked. It says this, then when he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into fields to feed swine, friends, big insult for a Jew. Feeding pigs, he's a Jew. It's illegal to farm pigs, against the law of Moses, to farm pigs, to be around them, to eat pork. Here's a Jew feeding pigs when there's a famine. Very far place from his father's house. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no man gave him anything. Why? He's not linked to eternal resource. So no one gives him anything. The response of the first son is rebellion. The response of the second son will be religion. To be good in the worst sense of the word, which we'll get into next week. What does religion look like? Both are equally as bad. Rebellion squanders what somebody else worked for. Always does, always has, always will. It squanders what someone else paid for. It squanders inheritance. It squanders what someone else worked for. Religion tries to earn what it already has. Very big difference. Then he says this, when he came to himself, 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. So this is extreme. This is, he's literally starving to death. We just read little parishes. Oh, he's a little, a little hungry. No, he's dying. Okay. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy. Pause. What made him worthy in the first place? Nothing. What made him worthy as a son in the first place? Nothing. He was born. He was born into that family. Nothing he did made him worthy. Now he's saying, well, I'm not worthy anymore. If I was that father, I said, buddy, you weren't worthy ever. But he was worthy because he was born. That's it. It's a picture of salvation. And we do this. We go back and forth and back and forth. Well, I'm going to make myself worthy and go back to God. What made you worthy in the first place? Not you, Jesus. Settle that. Who's ever, you've done bad stuff? None of you, obviously. You guys are all perfect saints. Just me and Chantel. But, you know, when you, you rehearse something in your head, right? I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. And you check it with, uh, with your partner. I think we should say this. This is what he's doing. I'm going to go and do these things. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Let me also bring something else out of this. There's much I want to say still, but long lost is this understanding of sinning against a parent. I've sinned against heaven and before you, says to his father. Let me say to children, anyone who has parents, and if you're still young especially, biblically, there's something very important when you understand, not to bring shame, when you understand the weight that, that parents carry. I've sinned against heaven and before you. Why? Because it's a shame and honor society, and your inheritance will come from them. Therefore, they receive honor. Leave that there. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he arose, verse 20, came to his father. Now, let me point there. At this point in the story, let's remember the crowd. Let's remember the culture. At this point in the story, I believe with all my heart, people were saying, here we go. Jesus is going to knock these rebels straight. Because they, they hadn't heard this before. They hadn't heard grace. They weren't understanding God as a father. They were understanding Jewish law. So they're waiting for the story of Kezaza. It's a Jewish ceremony. It's a Hebrew ceremonial thing that used to happen. It, the word means to cut off. Kezaza was a ceremony. Any Jew who loses his money among foreigners and then tries to return was ceremonially banished, where a clay pot filled with burnt beans was broken at the feet of the offender as a public visual symbol that the community rejects him from forever. Forever. You could not come back from Kesaza. You get separated from your family, your worshiping community, and your faith in a day. This is exactly what the son had done. So here we go in the story, and he says, and he arose and came to his father, period. Everyone there is going, here we go. It's like I see the fathers in the crowd going, listen up, son. Jesus is about to school you. That's, friends, that's what's going on in their mind. You're about to hear some discipline now. Then he says this. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. In Kesaza's ceremony, 
the one person who was not supposed to be there was the father. He was supposed to stay at home. The mother, the siblings in the community would go meet the person with the pot and the beans and all of that. And they would report what happened to the father and he would make a decision outside of the presence of the son. What's that father doing there? He's looking for his boy. So to them, they're like, whoa, when he said the father saw just that, he would have said, whoa, what's he doing there? He saw him a long way off. You know when you know somebody really well, you can tell the gait of their walk? What does dad do? He sees the son. He runs. The Jewish culture, again, something that none of us would understand because you might be like, well, that's silly. Friends, it was very serious. A man over the age of 40 does not run. It is to invite shame upon yourself and your family. Because in order to run, they would have to pick up their tunic and expose their legs. Not allowed. And they would, he picked up his tunic, exposed his legs, and he ran. He brought shame on himself and his family publicly. That word run is the word dramon. It's actually the word trecho in the Greek. The root word of trecho is dramon. Dramon is the root word, and there's multiple tenses. Trecho is just one of them. Okay? That word, Dramon, and all its various tenses are used only in one context in the Greek world, in the Roman world. A foot race in a stadium. They would have known this. So when it says his father ran, it wasn't dignified. He ran. There's a song, Lyndall Cooley used to sing it. Some of the new guys are singing it, Over the Mountains. Over the sea, here comes my lover running back to me. That's the father. He runs to you like that. My question to you is, do you see the father like that? We see Jesus like that. We see the Holy Spirit like that. But do you see your father like that? The father took shame so that the son didn't have to. We all know the Bible says in Hebrews, Jesus it went to the cross, despising its shame. So we're like, yeah, Jesus took our shame. What's Jesus teaching here? He's saying there is a father of which you know not. That father will literally shame himself and stand in between a ceremony of shame and his son. The father took shame on your behalf and stood in between him, his son, and the community. And he invited the shame that should have gone to his son onto himself. Then what happens? It says he fell on his neck and kissed him. You know the word fell there? It's the same word in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell. It's the same word in the Greek. He fell around his neck and kissed him. It's the kiss of heaven on a son. It's the baptism of the Spirit on a saint. It's the blessing of a father. He fell on his neck. He fell like the Spirit fell on the saints in, the, in Acts chapter 2. He literally descended upon his son with all his glory, with all his wealth. He descended upon his son and kissed him. Then he says this, you bring him the best robe. Friends, not just any robe, the best robe. They used to have family robes, and we're almost done. It's very important for us to understand this, family robes. But there were certain robes that were festive robes of honor. His son is worthy of shame. Try imagine, just for a second, when the son's walking home, he's probably walking past land that he sold. You realize that? probably seeing a wasteland that was once profitable, that was once fruitful because of what he did. He probably is walking home that. And as he's walking, what's starting to happen? I, I just imagine this. The people see him from a long way off. They start to heat the fire. 
say, oh, we're going to make this clay pot. They start to get beans, feeling righteous as they do it. They start to get ready to destroy this boy, this man. And then the father runs. He gives him a robe. He gave him the best robe. The robe there is a festive robe of honor. It says he put a ring on his finger. That's the signet ring. You know what that actually means? He's giving him back his family name. But you know what else it means? He's giving him the ability to transact business in the marketplace. In fact, what he's doing in today's world, he's a wealthy father giving his son a credit card and saying, son, go start a business. It's restoring him to complete dignity. Just a few days ago, he's in a land of famine, not linked to eternal resource. Just a few days ago, he's doing and eating, trying even to eat the food of pigs. Pigs as a Jew. Now he's standing back in the market with a robe, with honor, with a ring on his finger, transacting business that someone else paid for. Full dignity, full restoration. Then he puts sandals on his feet. Why is that important? You know that slaves were barefoot, only sons wore shoes. And then the fatted calf, as we know, means abundance and celebration. Friends, I, I say these things because I believe in my heart many of us see Jesus like that. Is this the picture you have of God, of the Father, or does this offend you? Is this the picture you have of the Father, that he does this for you, that he did this for you, and he'll do it again? Do not allow your earthly fathers, as good as they may be, as bad as they may be, to trap and to squash and to box the way you see him. He is without rival. And he is a good father. He is not like man. We'll go into the second son next week.